This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton, and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. This is News Radio 1290, WNBF News. Mostly sunny today, high near 56. Tonight, mostly cloudy, low around 42. Mostly cloudy Saturday, chance of afternoon showers with a high near 56. Sunday, mostly cloudy, high near 42. Office space in a prominent downtown Binghamton structure may soon be converted into apartments. The four-story Perry Building at 89 Court Street will be turned into primarily a residential complex under a plan put forward by a prospective owner. The property, which is under contract, had been listed for sale for about $1.5 million. The City Planning Commission is reviewing a proposal to convert the top three floors of the building into nine apartments with a total of 18 bedrooms. Jeffrey Smith and Anderson Architects said much of the existing building would be reused under the conversion plan. He said while the first floor now is occupied, the remainder of the building is vacant. Smith said three two-bedroom apartments are planned for each of the top floors. He said some exterior work would be done as part of the project. Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro is taking the first step in a years-long process to respond to a court decision that found that Pennsylvania's system of public school funding violates the constitutional rights of students in the poorest districts. His proposal on Tuesday for a $1.1 billion boost for public school operations and instruction is part of a seven-year process of ramping up funding. But Republican lawmakers have signaled that they are unwilling to significantly spend down the state's considerable reserves or raise taxes to fulfill the long-term funding schedule. Meanwhile, neither Shapiro or Democrats have produced a plan to show how Pennsylvania will find billions more for schools. Broome County District Attorney announced on Thursday a county-wide diversion program for those suffering from substance abuse disorders in partnership with the Broome County Sheriff's Office in Helio Health. Starting February 19th, qualifying accused individuals being arraigned at the centralized arraignment part of the Broome County Court System will have the opportunity to be part of the new diversion program, Motivation to Change. Upon acceptance into the program, the individual will be directly transported to Helio Health for immediate placement into detox or inpatient residential treatment. The Broome County Sheriff's Department has agreed to transport program participants directly to Helio Health. The plan will then assess the individual and recommend the appropriate treatment plan. This program is geared toward nonviolent offenders suffering from substance use disorder. Authorities say 10 cars of a cargo train carrying plastic pellets and cooking oil derailed in upstate New York with two ending up in a river. Authorities say the cars were part of a 94-car train that derailed Wednesday night in Rensselaer County Village of Valley Falls. A spokesperson for Berkshire and Eastern Railroad says no injuries were reported and no hazardous materials were involved. He says the two cars that fell into the river were leaking a small amount of cooking oil and resin. He says contractors are on site and the cars should be back on the rails soon. An investigation is underway.
A pork crane man is facing multiple charges, including driving while intoxicated and resisting arrest following a domestic incident in the town of Colesville. On February 8th, Broome County Sheriff's deputies responded to a report of a domestic incident at a residence at 90 Circle Drive in the town of Colesville. Upon arrival, Robert Bertman of Port Crane pulled into the driveway behind the patrol car, exited his vehicle, and began yelling at other residents at the scene. Witnesses reported that Bertram had consumed a large amount of alcohol during the course of the evening, became angry, and proceeded to leave and return to the residence multiple times throughout the night, each time causing disturbances, throwing objects, and repeatedly harassing the residents. He was arrested and charged with driving while intoxicated, a misdemeanor, obstructing governmental administration in the second degree, resisting arrest, harassment in the second degree, moving from a lane unsafely, unsafe starting, and refusing to take a breath test. A small plane, a small pilot, a plane pilot accused of stalking a New York woman from the air has been arrested for a fifth time. The Saratoga County Sheriff's Office says Michael Arnold of Schuylerville was ordered held without bail following his February 1st arrest on misdemeanor counts of stalking and criminal contempt. He's accused of waiting for and following the victim on January 12th in violation of an order of protection. Arnold's attorney did not immediately respond to an email request for comment Thursday. Arnold is accused of harassing a cafe owner in the village of Scholarville for more than four years, flying low and sometimes throwing tomatoes. That's a look at news. For updates on local news, weather, sports, and features, open up the WNBF app and online at WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF. News Radio Binghamton now for Friday, February 9th, 2024. This is your weekend preview edition of Binghamton now. Six zero seven 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 two twelve ninety. That's our number. Morning, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? It's Gary from the West Side, Bob, and I'm calling in on Positive Friday. This is the most positive program in the world. So, as you know, and everybody else knows, there's a big football game this weekend. But I would like to talk about a man, Cameron Haywood. He is the Walter Payton Man of the Year. Every team 
has more than one. They have numerous football players who play because they love the sport. But also, they are very good human beings, and they volunteer in their communities all the time. We don't get to see that that much because we don't have a professional football team here. But they go to hospitals to uh, talk with young individuals or just sick individuals to try to cheer them up. They do things above and beyond what they have to do. They're volunteering. And I would just like to thank Cameron Haywood for the, from the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's a defensive lineman. And he won the Walter Payton Man of the Year. I think it's a prestigious award. And I think it's fantastic that the NFL players do this. They don't have to, but they do. I commend him. I commend Cameron Philip Hayward for the work he's done and for the example he sets, not only for Absolutely. his fellow football players, but for each of us in America. For each of us, Bob. For each of us, correct. You know, I did want to talk, too, about a street in Binghamton that probably a lot of people don't get to travel. It's uh, Florence Avenue, I think is the name of it. It's one of my favorite streets, Florence ah. Avenue between Maine and Charlotte. Uh, uh-oh, nope, then I must have the wrong... Oh, are you talking about the Florence off Front Street? Uh, yeah, it's like kind of it's off of Leroy, it's off the back of yeah, uh, near the High School. Yeah, okay, okay, I, I got, um, I was thinking of Florence Street which is a one-block okay. street between Maine and Charlotte. But you're right, Florence Avenue is a relatively narrow street. Is it one way? It's not one way, but no. you know... It's probably, narrow, though, uh, isn't it? Now that you mention that, Florence Avenue could be one of my favorite streets, and Florence Street, one of my least favorite streets. But anyway, yeah, so Florence Avenue, if you come from back behind where the high school is and go down the street in the southerly direction towards Leroy... You get to the point where it's there's kind of a, a hill there. It goes downhill, and I think to help cars go up and down, they've created, like, lines in the road. It, it almost kind of looks, it doesn't look like cobblestone, but it kind of looks like an old-timey type road. But as you're traveling down, going towards Leroy, you, you, I get the sense, Bob, that I'm in 19th century Binghamton. You look at... Because what do you see ahead of you? you got houses on the left, houses on the right. I, I don't know if they've been there for how long, but they just appear to be that they've been there since Binghamton was first incorporated. But you look down, you got St. Patrick's Church. you got the mountains in the background. Oh, I'm got, seeing. Because, but it is really narrow. And very that, that stretch, right. they have, I'm yes. looking right now to refresh my memory because it has been a while since I've been on that part of Florence Avenue. The part that you're talking about, the south part, you can't even park there. They have a sign that says no, no. parking any time. Right, because it's it's narrow, right? So it's like you're back to the narrow streets and you just you look out. It just gives you a sense that um, I go back in time. I don't know why, Bob, but... Well, take a know, look. Take a look at Google Street View because the last image that they uploaded on Google Street View was from May of 2023. Uh -huh. So it's okay. a relatively recent image. So take a look at the property 
on the right as you get close to Leroy Street, Leroy Street, um, and you'll love it. I know what you'll love or because you've talked about this on the west side before. Take a look at that image. It's beautiful. With the, I, don't, uh, I, I can't. I don't have that in front of me, so I can't. I well, can't you don't have to look at it now. I'm just saying sometime. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm just and everybody pointing it out. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, everybody look at go, it. Take a look at at the length of Florence Avenue on the west side, and especially the southern portion, and you'll see what I mean. That's beautiful. Yeah, it, it kind of makes like if you were walking down. You know, if you're driving down the street, I'm not sure if you get the same feeling. But if you're walking down, I can see where it's, it gives you this European feel. It does. It, it you know, it just brings me to back to old time Binghamton. That's just the feeling yeah. I get. I don't know. Thank you. you know? Well, but thank anyway, you. So that's it. Yeah, thank you. That's a positive. And I, and when you first said Florence Avenue, obviously I, I gravitated first to Florence Street. But what I was actually thinking of. Initially, when I realized that you were talking about the street near the high school, I was actually thinking about Eaton Place, which actually runs parallel to Main Street behind the high school, and that's that's where okay. that's where Florence Avenue starts. So Florence Avenue yes. runs from Eaton Place to Leroy Street, and I have been on Eaton Place many, many more times than I've been on Florence Avenue. I think I may have been on Florence Avenue probably only twice in my life. Now that I now that I think about it. But, um, yeah, thank you for sharing that positive. Again, as you point out, that may be a street that even people who've lived in Binghamton all their lives, they either didn't know about it, they may right. not have yeah. known about its existence. And I'm, I'm guessing about 95% or more of uh, Binghamton residents have never had occasion to be on the street. But thank you. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really cool street. Florence... Street now that's different. That's what that's by, over by uh, where the uh, the something Mart. I forget what they named it now. It's and uh, Bob's or, or Tom's, right? Where Tom's is? Is that Florence? Sure. Yeah, Tom's yeah. Uh, uh, Coffee and Gifts. Gifts is... and stuff. Yeah. So it is Positive Friday. I, I'm not going to make comments on that street because well, uh, we we were going the opposite direction. Yeah, but, but I, I think if I'm not mistaken. Let me just double check before I yeah. make a, a statement on the air. I think there uh-huh. is reason. Let me just double check because I to be positive about it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, this is it. Oh, good. What is that? So, I didn't personally cover this story, but Roy Santa Cruz from News Channel Thirty Four filed a report uh, just two months ago in early December. And it said demolition kickoff at 6 Florence Street. So one of the older and, we'll say, more decrepit buildings on Florence Street was being torn down, a three-story apartment house. And this is why I say there's reason for hope. It says an eyesore in Binghamton is getting knocked down to make way for new affordable housing units. The Southern Door Community Land Trust held a groundbreaking ceremony for the demolition of a building at 6 Florence Street. I'm familiar with it because there have been, without getting into specifics, news stories involving that old house that's no longer there. Uh, It says the land trust says the vision for the project is to transform the building into a six-unit complex. 
complex will look to house families with kids. Each unit will range from two to four bedrooms. The new building will have the highest standards in sustainability and energy efficiency. So I think that's a step in the right direction, and certainly Florence Street, Florence Street deserves our uh, attention. And, and same with Charlotte Street. Charlotte Street, and I've been told over the years that there have been plans, discussions about redeveloping Charlotte Street, as it turns out, over the last... Mm, 30 or 40 years, uh, many of the buildings on Charlotte Street either wound up being torn down because they were in such bad shape. In some cases, they were demolished because of fires and they were damaged because of, uh, of, uh, blazes. So, but it's still, Charlotte Street is a street also in need of some attention. Bob, I'd like to point something out though, too. So, Florence Street, right? So you got Gary that says, well, I got some negatives there. They people park on the sides of the streets. You can't get down. It makes it difficult, right? And then you got Bob who comes up with a positive about a house that was torn down and they're putting up a new house, right? So it's the same street with the same stuff on there, but it's two different people looking at it two different ways. Gary looking at it negatively, Bob looking at it positively. So is it how you look at things that affects your life, or is it the actual street? It's a combination. It's a combination. I mean, yes, you and I could walk down Florence Street from Charlotte to Maine and take notes, take copious notes about conditions of the existing buildings and the existing conditions. Is that bar still open? No. Bar there? No. It's not. No, and um, I have some Memories. I could write a book, a small book about that place, because it's been many, many businesses have been housed there over the years. Actually, one of the most, oh, I can't talk about that because this is Positive Friday. So anyway, uh, moving an on. unsolved crime. Yes. Is that, is that yes. I still a, a reward? No, that really, a reward that really was, that crime. was issued and well, since reward, that's a positive. <laughs> So this is, sorry, sorry for you people who were expecting total, total positivity. This goes back, believe it or not, seven years. This is the story I wrote seven years ago about that location at 15 Charlotte Street at the corner. Did it beat that kid up? Yep. University student. That's why it was, that's why a reward was offered. If it was, say, a Binghamton High School student or some other 20-year-old, I guess it wouldn't have been a Binghamton High School student at age 20, but say if it was just... Might have been. <laughs> it, yeah, actually it could have been. But say if it was not a Binghamton University student, um, there wouldn't have been a reward offered. And that's how it works here. Um, so more than 14 months ago, so that would have made it in, wow, late 2015. It was November 2015. Uh, the 20-year-old Binghamton University student was critically injured during a robbery. Yeah, oh. at the ice brain. house. He had brain damage, right? I believe he did. Uh, I he hope was, he's okay now. Yeah. I really do. Well, I might do a follow-up. You know, it would be interesting. Hopefully, so that was more than eight years ago. Hopefully, he made a full recovery. I might look into it to see uh, see how he made out. He was hit in the and head. Then- 
with an object and robbed. Yeah. And then there was another incident there not too long ago about the poor guy who was killed on Main Street, dragged underneath the car. By somebody under the, the influence. Yeah, by somebody under the influence of drugs. She was, I think, driving. I don't know if she was driving on Jarvis Street. I think two days earlier, before the incident involving the death of the guy who was struck, he was what he his crime. I think on a Monday afternoon, maybe it wasn't a Monday, a weekday afternoon, was um, walking on the sidewalk near Tom's Coffee Shop, or wasn't right near it. Was I think a bit east of it on Main Street, and this woman who admitted, I believe, she was under the influence of drugs, uh, mm-hmm. lost control of her vehicle, and the man sadly was dragged some distance until the vehicle came to a stop in the parking lot of Tom's Coffee and Gifts. Then, as I recall, if I'm not mistaken, uh, people in the area worked together to see. Here's a positive: they worked together. The car they lifted the car off the man who had uh, sadly, ultimately, uh, died of his injuries. So so that's a positive, that it showed civilians working to help somebody who desperately needed help. And yes. sad. You know, and again, this helps... As most know, people are. Most people well, would do that. I would. Sure. I, I'll say this. It, it wasn't... Right around the... T- it, it, it wasn't a big front, car. Hold on. Yeah, um... Yeah, I remember because I think it was during the hockey season. See, seems like I was going to a hockey game that night, and uh, the scene was still hours after the man was. Yeah, that was uh, a daytime event. I yeah, think. but it it continued into the evening. Maybe sure. well, maybe I was coming back. What was I coming back from? Because it was some event. Maybe it was just dinner somewhere downtown, and I said. Um, Let's swing by over on Main Street to see what's going on there. And because I thought probably by then the scene would have been cleared, but they still had the crime scene tape in place because it was uh, it was a very uh, intensive police investigation. Wasn't that around the time that Harper Stance was mowed down too? It, she died. I it was. She died after that. Yes. It, it, yeah. And so let's see the. Uh, and, Bob, just to your point that you made earlier, you know, we have a positive. The Harper Stance is, you know, uh, they renamed part of Rec Park after her. They have a bench there. It's yellow. All, all good things, all positive things. This poor guy that died, nobody really knew him, right? He didn't have no family around. And no, stuff. I think And he... there's no memorial for him. But, you know, look, that's to your point of, you know, well, the... Uh, you know, the college student is a reward, and if it wasn't there, you know, it's right. just a college student a different thing. is is treated differently. A Binghamton High School student who w- loved tennis and was playing tennis with her good friend at Rec Park just moments before she was uh, struck oh. down by by yet oh. another person driving a vehicle who was under the influence of drugs. Right. So here's here's the sequence. Here's the timeline. The um, incident on Main Street where a 47-year-old man whose name nobody remembers and who did, right. not, did not receive any sort of uh, a memorial, you know, at, at the uh, area of Main and Jarvis or Main and Florence. Um, they could rename the street after could. Them. But they, they could rename Florence Street in his honor. They could call it yes. Richardson Street. 
but they okay. won't. Uh, so that no. happens in April 2017, and 2017. then, and then, less than two years later, in March 2019, Harper Stance was mm-hmm. was killed. She was 16, a Binghamton High so School horrible. student. And so the similarities between those two cases, I thought, and they happened just about three blocks apart. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. Anyway, thank you. Never you never know. Stay positive today, we will. Bob. Have a great show. Thank you. It's 927. You're listening to News Radio WNBF. It's Friday. I'm Bob Joseph. Thanks for listening. From the Galt Auto Studios, this is WNBF News Radio AM 1290. Also available at 92.1 FM. Reserve your new Toyota at Galt Toyota. WNBF Binghamton, I'm Bob Joseph. You're listening to Binghamton Now. We're joined now by Nima Krajan with some previews of things going on at the Shore Family Firehouse stage in Johnson City. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Boy, it feels like spring. Oh, my gosh. I was out there covering a breaking news story this morning, and I made an error by uh, leaving the house this morning with my winter jacket on, and I should have left my jacket in the car because I was uh, hopping all over the place taking pictures in, in video, and I'm thinking, no, it feels more like April than than February. Sure so, does. Yeah. Yeah, it's really amazing. Yeah, we should all be grateful. Yep. Oh, yeah. Well, especially when we're uh, hit with like a four- or five-foot snowstorm on March 30th. <laughs> Yep. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hey, you never know. That's that's the beauty of life. You never know for sure. Anyway, we do have some things to celebrate coming up in Johnson City. Tell us about some of the uh, events that are on tap. Well, as you know, we kind of take it slow in uh, January uh, and early February, but then we open with a bang with our Ladies of Laughter comedy, which is Wednesday, February fourteenth, on Valentine's Day. You don't necessarily have to bring your Valentine. Um, we have a lot of people who just come together as a group, you know, of friends uh, to celebrate that. And so, once again, that's at 7 p.m., Ladies of Laughter, uh, on um, Wednesday, February 14th. We also, uh, speaking of comedy, we are bringing back the Irish Comedy Tour, which sold out last year. And that is Thursday, February 29th. We're doing two shows because it sold out in a heartbeat last time. So 5.30 and 8 p.m. That is the same weekend as Parade Day, you know, in Binghamton. So that Thursday night, February 29th, you can come to Irish Comedy Tour and then spend the rest of the weekend um, with our early, you know, March craziness for St. Patrick's Day. So two two different types of comedy in February, which I think is going to be really, really fun. And then, of course, we have our Enjoy Jazz, and that's back um, on Monday, February 19th with Parlor City Smooth. And that is some uh, mostly local jazz people, Michael Melnick, Brian Tanui, uh, Thomas Westcott, Jeff Howard, and Mike Carbone. So that's going to be some smooth and easy jazz. Easy listening on February 19th. And 
All of these shows are selling very well, by the way. Um, so uh, if you're interested, you really should go to our website, firehousestage.org, and, um, and get your tickets because uh, all of these generally sell out. So it's, it's important to, to get, a, get on there and pick your seat, you know. So um, we also have something really special called Kiss Me Once, and that's stories from the home front of World War II, and that is Sunday, February 25th at 2 p.m. Kathy Kafer has done these interviews. She has the personal stories from at least three families. She has photos, and she interweaves the music of the era. So obviously the song Kiss Me Once, but also White Cliffs of Dover, um, I'll Be Seeing You, uh, just some wonderful, wonderful music from the time, but also very poignant, heartfelt stories of the time. So that's a very, very special show. And, um, you know, this is also um, one of the anniversaries of the invasion of Normandy. So I think it's going to be very powerful for people. Sounds great. Sounds like a lot, yeah. a lot of entertainment on tap. <laughs> <laughs> it's all it happening it's in Johnson City. Yeah, something for everybody, you know, um, and that's what we try to do, you know, each month. Uh, so to make sure that there's so that people don't have to go out of town to see fabulous stuff. You know, we want to make sure we bring the uh, artists to you here so that it's much more economical. So February is going to be quite exciting. And then are you going to. I, I know it was a, a big thing for uh, a few seasons with some outdoor events. I mean, looking ahead to the warm weather, will there be any outdoor events planned later this year? Because that seemed to be, well, even, even though it was uh, of necessity because of we were emerging from the pandemic. You know, we did do our tent shows um, the year after, the summer after the uh, pandemic um kind of ended. Um, I don't know if the pandemic ever ended. Well, that's a whole No, I mean, but... <laughs> I, I, think, I think as some medical experts said, I think COVID-19 is sort of now uh, always going to be part yeah. of it, just like, uh, say, the flu. Right, right. So anyway, uh, but, you know, there's a lot of outdoor spaces now. And um, so, you know, we didn't get as much um, audience as we had hoped under the tent. So we probably won't we won't be doing anything else under the tent. However, um, if you drive by in Johnson City, you will see that they are completely redoing that Jenison Park. So um, we are, you know, going to be talking to the village uh, to see, you know, how that design is going to play out and if there's an opportunity for us to do anything special. We do know that November 1st is going to be the 125th anniversary of the firehouse building. So we are planning a party and something special for November 1st, that's for sure, uh, so that we can celebrate um, the, the uh, firehouse building itself because it really was the center of all activity for the village back when it was Leicestershire. And so when the village really consisted of um, a couple farms and one factory, uh, they built this um, municipal building, Central Fire Station, and you paid your taxes there. Um, there was a kid's playroom downstairs. There was uh, bowling. Um, there was um, also on the top floor, 
Um, that is clear span. It was a large room with, and it has still has the remnants of the beautiful stenciling. But people got together and they, they came and they had, uh, song fests. They had gatherings. They had tea dances. They also had the exercise area. Um, the, uh, firefighters also used it for exercise, but it, it was quite a versatile room. And it really was the heartbeat of Johnson City. Um, obviously later, um, the village was renamed, uh, but it, um, so this building was extremely important, uh, to the community and November 1st, it's going to be 125 years old. So we're proud of the fact that we have saved this building. Absolutely. Now, if people want more information about the upcoming events, can they get that on the website? Yes, they can go to firehousestage.org. They can go to goodwilltheater.org. O-R-G. They can call our box office at 607-772-2404. Extension 301 gets you straight to Sarah, and she will take care of you. Nima Krajan, thanks for checking in. Thank you. You have a great day. Thanks. It's 938. This is WNBF Live. I'm Bob Joseph. WNBF Live on uh, Friday morning. This is Bob Joseph at 941. We're joined in the studio by Binghamton City Councilman Nate Hotchkiss. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me. I just pointed out to you, you're on the front page. Look at this. I know you don't read newspapers, but at least not print newspapers. I get, I, I get the digital copy. Right. I, I but take you, a look at it. Unlike me, people of a certain age who still... But I pointed out uh, the story about Monday's... Uh, work session wound up in Friday's paper, so they got it in before the weekend. So congratulations, you're on the front page, and your name is spelled correctly, Nate Hotchkiss. Thank you so much. Fourth District City Councilman. We'll talk a bit about what's going on this week in a moment. First, though, uh, you represent the Fourth District. For our listeners who may not be familiar with the way the districts are now set up, give us sort of an overview of the district you represent on City Council. Yeah, so the 4th District is predominantly the north side in downtown Binghamton. Um, and a little change that has happened recently is now it bleeds over into the west side over to Oak Street. Um, and the, the northernmost point is Bevere Street. So so does it include the high school now? Yep, Oprah it Oak. goes all the way over to the high school. Um, and then there's one border at Exchange Street and then another at court street and kind of wraps around so what prompted you to run for city council well i have been following local politics for a few years i've been trying to be as uh, civically engaged and community engaged um, as possible and basically i wasn't overly thrilled with the direction that our our local representatives were going in and I think there was different issues that could have could have used more attention. So I threw my threw my name in the hat and ended up getting elected. So any second thoughts here. given the way things have gone over the last five or six weeks? No, I, I've actually really um, enjoyed it despite despite it, it all any of the controversy. Um, and I I'm happy that I'm in office and I get a chance to represent the people of Binghamton. So let's talk about 
this week. Um, I don't recall, at least in the last couple of years, uh, an issue that suddenly uh, captivated the public's attention, both within the city of Binghamton and even outside the city, as a request for legislation about uh, perhaps having a referendum that would allow Binghamton residents in November to decide the future of the Binghamton Police Department. I, I think this is highly unusual. Tell us uh, a little bit about how how things unfolded both um, over the last several days before Monday's work session and then uh, bring us up to date where where we stand now after after the events of the last couple of weeks. Okay. So before the work session... Um, Mr. Solak, uh, John Solak, I'm, I know you're familiar with him. He is a regular contributor. I, I would say he probably calls, I would say on average, at least three times a week. Sometimes it feels like almost every day. So he's, uh, he's a frequent, he'd say, he's a, uh, as they say, long time listener and frequent caller to the program. Right. So I'm, I'm sure your, your listeners are, are familiar with John, um, as many residents of Binghamton are. But he, he submitted this piece of legislation it's called the Police Choice Act. Uh, it was basically asking the city council to put a referendum on the upcoming ballot that would dissolve the police department in Binghamton and have, have those services be transferred to the sheriff and state police. Um, so he, he put that out there and... In our city charter, we have this provision that says members of the general public can submit requests for legislation. This is the first time we received one since we've been in office, and we thought, you know, we want to be as um, open and inclusive with the public as possible because there, there's been this narrative that um, city council has kind of shut – the previous city council has shut down voices of the public and some of their concerns were, were unheard. Um, so we're trying to embody a, a different style. We want more civic engagement. We want to hear from our residents. And so we, we let this uh, item go to the agenda on our work session, which is basically just a – an opportunity to discuss whatever whatever is put forward. Um, we had some conversations with the mayor about it. He didn't w- think it was appropriate for it to be on the agenda at all. But we're we're committed to having a, a co governance model, so the community is more engaged in the the process and decision making in city hall and in our local government. So we wanted to bring John in, hear his thoughts, have a deliberation. And and go from there. And as I, I stated in my first little little bit on the news, it's like I was very doubtful that this would move forward at all, um, just based on the information I was given. Um, so yeah, it winds up on the agenda for the mm-hmm. the meeting at six o'clock Monday evening, and John. Solak is given a chance to appear before council members, but he never got around to actually making a presentation. He had five minutes to actually outline his proposal, why he made his request, and why he thought it might be a good idea to allow city residents to decide this fall, but that didn't happen. No, and I've already expressed this before, but I was kind of disappointed that he, he... 
chose to make a scene there rather than um, take the opportunity to discuss what what was on his mind or why he wanted to bring this forward. And so well, and he clearly was um, disappointed or perhaps angered that uh, the pol- the police chief had apparently had discussions with at least one council member and uh, there had been conversations with Mayor Cram before the work session that seemed to be part of the issue um, which uh, again myself and I, I can't remember if I said this to John from Binghamton when he called earlier this week after the work session personally I would think that uh, it would be a given that whether it's the council president or other council members, would have some kind of uh, conversation both with the mayor and the police chief before this came up during a work session because it was such a substantial piece of legislation. This wasn't something, you know, about a different type of tires for police cars. This would have a profound impact on the department. I mean, if you call for the dissolution of the police department, that's a major issue. So I, I would think that as a courtesy, any mayor and any city council president, perhaps other members of city council, would have tried to have uh, at least preliminary talks with both uh, the mayor and the police chief and even invite them to the work session. Do you know, by the way, whether... Uh, Mayor Cram or the police chief were invited to attend Monday's work session to talk about John's request. Um, I don't. I don't believe that they were invited to um, either present on that request. But I mean, we, there, for any for already in our like short tenure there, we've had conversations about agenda items before the presentation. But they would have been welcome, yeah. right? If say if. Uh, the mayor or the police chief or the head of the police union, anybody who might have an interest in John's request for legislation, council members would have allowed them to speak. Or wouldn't they? At the work session. Yeah, we obviously that's a a party that has to be involved in that whole process. So I think it's important that they would... All right. They would need to weigh in on it. Yeah. So what do you think? So the following morning, Mayor Cram held a news conference at City Hall to express his thoughts that the request, the handwritten one-page request that John made, was put on the agenda for the work session. What did you think about the mayor's response the following morning? I think it was disappointing. Um, and I think he he was well aware of our intentions with that request because we had conversations with him at length about um, what we're trying to do with being more civically engaged um, and bringing, allowing residents to be more a part of the process. Um, and if someone's on the agenda, that's not necessarily an endorsement of whatever they're they're putting forward, but it, we're just giving them an opportunity to to say what's on their mind and share with us what inspired whatever legislation they're they're requesting um so it obviously it's a it's a touchy subject and the mayor took the opportunity to to play politics and just like smear us for just entertaining not necessarily entertaining but allowing john to be there to talk about that piece of legislation do you have any second thoughts Uh, i mean if if you knew then before the work session what transpired uh, since then, would would you have recommended that it not have been placed on the agenda? 
Uh, no, I don't have any second thoughts about it. I um, I think we did the right thing, and we have all the right intentions at heart, and we're we're not going to shut down residents that might have um, ideas that we don't agree with. We still want them to feel comfortable bringing them forward. And certainly has publicized the, the fact that now any city resident, if they want, can submit a request for legislation to the city clerk's office. Absolutely. And that's that's been in the charter all along, but I just don't think that's been something that people have uh, have necessarily known about. So there's now there's all this publicity about it, and I think it's going to create a, a a better wave of people engaging with, with city council. So And it's already happened. We've already got one come through. Um, so I hope that continues to happen and it's going to, it's going to help out our residents ultimately. Speaking with Binghamton City Councilman Nate Hotchkiss, who represents the 4th District, which includes downtown. There is something that's been going on downtown in recent years and it looks like it's going to continue. Maybe it'll accelerate more and more office buildings being converted into housing. We're seeing work underway right now at the Center Plaza building at Henry and Schneigo Street. Uh, there will be, I think, dozens of apartments put there. Uh, there's a proposal for the uh, historic Perry building uh, at the corner of Court and Shenango for nine high-end apartments. And I understand some other buildings likely uh, will be converted to housing in the future just because there's... Um, a reduced demand for office space downtown. What are your thoughts about uh, more of the downtown buildings being converted into housing, various types of housing? Yeah, I'm I'm generally supportive of the conversion of office buildings into housing. My my whole campaign and platform and really my interests have been around different ways to uh, address the housing crisis in Binghamton and I think the conversion of office office buildings that are underutilized or not really seeing the same demand into into apartment buildings is really uh, one one avenue to pursue that. So I'm generally supportive. Uh, of course, I I think student housing is pretty much overbuilt at this point, and we got to do a little bit. We got to di- diversify the the offerings of what's available to the general general public and residents here in Binghamton. And on the north side, there's a project that uh, will include some tiny homes for veterans. That's a county project that is moving forward now, not mm-hmm. far from the, the old Binghamton Plaza, and that'll provide some, I think, uh, 10 uh, homes for veterans along with the Veterans Services Center. And there have been some other housing projects in that general area of the north side, which is in your district. Yes. Um, and you can't can't forget about town and country. So right now there's that whole complex. There's 256 units, um, probably right now around 50 percent. So we're looking at 100 units that are that are vacant there. I've been on top of working with a developer to see what like what's really happening and what's what's making that project slow down. And the the state partner that they're looking to work with um, to make this move forward to see like what the hangup is. Uh, I'm it's like a lot of stuff has been happening right there in that little little section of the north side, but they've been cut down a lot of the dead trees that were on that property that have been a liability and a real nuisance to the residents there and have 
been doing roof work. So I'm I'm happy to see that there's been some progress over there. Yeah, it's nice. There has been activity over the last several weeks, so it's a it's a promising sign. Nate Hodgkiss, thanks for coming in this morning. I look forward to talking with you again on the program along with the other members of Binghamton City Council. Thank you, Bob. It's 9.55, WNBF Live on your Friday morning. Coming up, we'll have the news from ABC, the latest national and world update. And then we'll talk with Johnson City Mayor Martin Maney about what's going on in the village. This is News Radio, WNBF and WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 AM, WNBF Binghamton. Now on 92.1 FM, W221EJ Binghamton, a town square media station. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. This is News Radio 1290, WNBF News. Today will be mostly sunny, high near 56, mostly cloudy skies for tonight, low around 42. Heading into the weekend for Saturday, mostly cloudy, chance of afternoon showers, low around 34. Sunday, mostly cloudy with a high near 42. Broome County District Attorney F. Paul Battisti announced on Thursday a countywide diversion program for those suffering from substance use disorders in partnership with the Broome County Sheriff's Office and Helio Health. Starting on February 19th, qualifying accused individuals being arraigned at the centralized arraignment part of the Broome County Court System will have the opportunity to be part of the new diversion program, Motivation to Change. Upon acceptance into the program, the individual will be directly transported to Helio Health for immediate placement into detox or inpatient residential treatment. The Broome County Sheriff's Department has agreed to transport program participants directly to Helio Health. Helio Health will then assess the individual and recommend the appropriate treatment plan. This program is geared toward nonviolent offenders suffering from, from substance use disorder. Six members of a family are feared dead at a house in suburban Philadelphia that went up in flames as two police officers who responded to the scene were shot. Among those feared dead are three children. Delaware County District Attorney says some of the remains of a body and a rifle were recovered from the home in East Lansdowne. He's cautioning that the probe is in its early stages as investigators seek clues to the fire and the shooting, which took place Wednesday afternoon. One of the wounded officers was discharged from the hospital on Thursday. Office space in a prominent downtown Binghamton structure may soon be converted into apartments. The four-story Perry Building at 89 Court Street will be turned into primarily a residential complex under a plan put forward by a prospective owner. The property, which is under contract, had been listed for sale for about $1.5 million. The City Planning Commission is reviewing a proposal to convert the top three floors of the iconic cast iron building into nine apartments with a total of 18 bedrooms. Jeffrey Smith said much of the existing building would be reused under the conversion plan. He said while the first floor is now occupied, the remainder of the building is vacant. He said three two-bedroom apartments are planned for each of the top floors. Some exterior work would be done as part of the project. The development job would be eligible for historic preservation tax credits, which would be an important part of the funding the project.
Newly released body camera footage shows the chaotic lead up to a brawl between migrants and police in Times Square. In the video, officers can be seen approaching a group of men and ordering them to leave the area in front of a shelter. As one of the men was walking away, he said in Spanish, they look like ugly Betty. Moments later, he is shoved into a doorway and arrested, setting off immediately between migrants and police. In addition uh, to uh, Yanerti Brito, six others have been indicted for their alleged role in the assault. Authorities are searching for at least five others. A study finds that a new higher-dose nasal spray for reversing opioid overdoses didn't save more lives than the standard dose. However, it was tied to more vomiting and other side effects. The new study is being called the first to provide real-world world data on what kind of difference the 8-milligram spray is made. It found survival was the same, but side effects were twice as common in people who got a higher dose. The study was published yesterday. The opening of a new soup and sandwich shop on Binghamton's east side is almost here. The business will operate at the site of Pasquale's Deli at 180 Broad Avenue. The deli, which had been a fixture in the neighborhood for several decades, closed suddenly last October. A Binghamton man, Jesus Clark, in December revealed plans to launch a new eatery featuring many of the items that were popular at Pasquale's. The place isn't operating yet, but Clark told WNBF News on Thursday that he expects to have things up and running by the end of the month. He's hoping to streamline things with the operation of the new soup and sandwich shop with an online ordering system. A new poll by the Associated Press and the NORC Center for Public Affairs Research finds most Americans believe air travel is generally safe in the U.S., the poll was released uh, this week. About 7 in 10 U.S. adults say planes are a very or somewhat safe method of travel. Even so, only about 2 in 10 U.S. adults have a great deal of confidence that airplanes are being properly maintained or that they are safe from structural faults. The poll was conducted following a January 5th accident in which a panel blew off an Alaska Boeing 737 MAX 9 jetliner in mid-flight. That's a look at news. For updates on local news, weather, sports, and features, open up the WNBF app and online at WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF. News Radio Joseph Binghamton now continues on this Friday morning. We're joined by Johnson City Mayor Martin Maney. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing today? Great. How are things with the village people? Village people are doing well. Thank you for asking, and thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, always appreciate our uh, elected officials uh, appearing on the program and bringing us up to speed. First, uh, housing, that's a, a major issue, not only in the southern tier, but across New York State. And Governor Kathy Hochul had a big presentation in Albany earlier this week about housing, trying to encourage communities to do more to provide uh, better housing and more affordable housing for uh, our residents in New York State. 
And I understand Johnson City is actually one of the communities that has received recognition from New York State. Um, yes, yes, Bob. We are one of the first 20 um, communities that were uh, recognized or designated as a pro-housing community in New York, um, us along with the city of Binghamton, which is good news. And it wasn't um, for lack of a lot of hard work by our planning director, Stephanie Ezzi, and our code enforcement officer, Randy Shear, because they had a heavy lift to get all this information together in a short period of time to get up to the uh, governor's office and uh, we're proud of their efforts but we're also proud that um, we were designated as a pro-housing community because that um, will help us to continue our growth and our development in Johnson City and um, you know it will assist uh, any potential new developers to come in it gives us uh, it puts us I guess to the top of the list when it comes to seeking funds from the state for for grants that these developers were going to be pursuing. Are there any specific areas in the village that could lend themselves to new housing projects, projects that haven't been announced yet? To be honest with you, that's that's a developers. There's there's areas in the village that, that do uh, bode well for development. It's just uh, it's what the developers are looking to accomplish. Uh, this just gives them the opportunity to, to know that if they come to Johnson City and they find a favorable site, that any state funding and grants that they might apply for. I mean, I think there's $650 million of, of this discretionary spending that the state has put forward into all these programs that they will have better access to. There are already some projects that we've discussed in the past. For example, the uh, transformation of the century-old Johnson City High School building at 435 Main Street. That's uh, being eyed for 62 apartments. Where do things stand with the redevelopment of that site, which has in recent decades been the Night Bend Trade Center? I know that the developer is moving forward. He's uh, bringing in a um, historical architect or architecture engineer that, that uh, does um, specifically historical buildings to uh, renovate them and rehabilitate them. Uh, so I know he's moving forward with that, and we should be having meetings in the future. And, again, this might open the door up for that developer to, to get uh, access to funds quicker um, to, to bring 435 Main Street to fruition. Also, 333 Grand Ave, the um, Regan development, they have not had any information or, or told that they were awarded through the last uh, funding through uh, Homes and Community Renewal, HCR, uh, now that we are designated as a pro-housing community that that might help them uh, gain the necessary funding that they need to get their pro uh, project moving as well. And that, for people who are old enough, people of a certain age will remember that site at 333 Grand Avenue is where the Philadelphia sales store was for many years. One of the best stores ever. <laughs> the best. Yeah. The best. That I, I think that uh, a lot of American uh, retail chains could only aspire to the the very special atmosphere. I don't think it's been replicated since Philadelphia no. sales uh, left left the scene. No, it has not, and it's it's too bad. I would I would love to see something like that come back, maybe for nostalgia. But I just think you could walk into Philly sales and. Find everything from soup to nuts and grab a beautiful, fresh popped bag of popcorn on your go. way out. It was the Life popcorn. Good. Yes. The um, project at that site with Regan Development, 
that is uh, envisioned as a 72-unit apartment building. And I believe there also uh, would be uh, another component aside from the, the residential part. Right. The, as the uh, other component or co- commercial uh, concept they have is I believe that, that daycare was part of their proposal, and I don't believe that that's changed at this time. And as we know, uh, we, we definitely need daycare in this area. Are there more uh, apartment projects, perhaps not on that same scale, with 62 or 72 units that you know are are being uh, considered by developers? I understand there are a few buildings along Main Street, not far from the Binghamton University Health Sciences campus, that likely will have uh, more apartments available in, in the coming months. Well, I, I know quite a few of the um, submittals for our DRI were along Main Street there. And again, it was to uh, hopefully, hopefully they start releasing the funding um, this spring and in April into May. They start making announcements and re- release the funding so these uh, developers could get their projects going. But yeah, there's uh, they're looking to do apartments there. Uh, again, 400 Riverside Drive, the old uh, Davis College or Practical Bible School. Um, there's a lot of interest in, in people looking at that to do development there. And there, there's other ideas and notions being kicked around for development at various other sites um, that are just speculative and in the concept stage right now. When I was talking with uh, one of the partners in the Oakdale Commons project, Mark Newman, uh, he indicated that there's still somewhere down the road a possibility that that there could be a residential component to what used to be the Oakdale Mall. Obviously, that's that's not the the biggest thing we're going to hear about this year. It, it could still be perhaps some ways off because I know there are some other announcements that are are going to happen much sooner than anything about uh, residential. Do, do you think that? Uh, Having some kind of a residential component to go with the retail and the medical-related uh, tenants at Oakdale Commons would be something beneficial to Johnson City? Oh, absolutely. I don't think just Johnson City, but the, the region as a whole. And I guess, you know, the, one of the biggest things in speaking with Assemblywoman Lepardo uh, that is holding our area back to, to having some type of uh, major, major manufacturer coming in is the limited stock of single-family homes. So, again, in theory, I guess if, if Newman Development or um, Spark LLC is looking to do some type of residential component at the mall, I think it would be a great idea. I think if you maybe look at for seniors because the, that's – you know, seniors may be looking to downsize or, or don't want to have to worry about maintaining their properties anymore. If they put something like that in there where you're right there at the Oakdale Commons and you could walk out your door and walk down to the the uh, pavilion, I guess it would be the Guthrie Pavilion now since um, and, uh, they've taken over Lourdes, but you've got the pavilion there. You've got uh, recreation with, with, with the factory at Beer Tree and Dave and & Buster's is coming. You've got shopping with BJ's and the other stores in the mall, I think that that would be something that maybe would um, attract, you know, if they put some type of uh, residential component up there that might attract some seniors to say, hey, you know what, everything's right here. We could walk to everything. 
we've got our house. We don't have to worry about that. So let's sell our house, move into this, and then that frees up some of the single-family housing stock that the area desperately needs. And also perhaps uh, another medical or health-related component to be announced soon from what we're hearing. Okay. You hear more than I do, Bob. (laughs) I'm sure you've heard. I'm sure you hear things, too, that you may not be at liberty to discuss on live radio. Oh, I'm just, I'm, again, I've said this multiple times on your show. I'm happy to be the last one to know because then I can't get into any trouble. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. Developers and uh, tenants can be, how can we say, somewhat sensitive to the premature release of information. Right. Nobody's going to accuse me or call me a picaroon for uh, for divulging any information. Yeah, and so when are they going to announce the Chick-fil-A over at Oakdale Commons, for example? This would be another example of, of one way to probably ensure that Chick-fil-A wouldn't come to the village for at least a decade if you, well, what I hear, it's going to be on whatever. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I couldn't tell you. I could tell you I've probably got a better shot of giving you the winning lottery numbers for tonight. <laughs> probably. probably. For, for any type of announcement for for any retail establishments coming to the to the commons. How are things going in terms of overall traffic flow? Because we've uh, discussed over the last year or so about the, the increased traffic volume in the Oakdale area because of the transformation of the mall into the Oakdale commons and, of course, the continued um, volume of customers pouring in as well as leaving Wegmans. And, and one of the key things was the uh, a few months ago, the completion of a new left turn lane to enter Wegmans and also the reconfiguration of, of the entrance for uh, the Oakdale Commons property on Harry L. Drive. What's your sense of overall traffic conditions in that area with Oakdale Commons and Wegmans and some of the other businesses near the intersection of Ariel Drive, Reynolds Road, and the 201? Um, it's been mixed. I will tell you that the uh, extra left going into Wegmans has improved the traffic flow through there. Uh, new signage is being developed and should be up relatively soon because it still is a wee bit confusing. Um, so that'll take, uh, you know, hopefully all, all the guesswork out of it. Um, what we're finding more is it's the traffic exiting especially since BJ's open, exiting the mall. And uh, there's been some complaints made to my office and to the state DOT about the traffic delay on Reynolds Road heading south, where uh, they feel that the 201 light um, coming north off of 201 at the intersection of Harriel and 201 is um, that people have said to me, I could drive the whole length of 201 with a green light, but then I sit at the red light heading south on Reynolds Road to get onto 201, and it, there's minimal, you know, there's no more than eight or nine cars to get through. So, so could that be something that's, something that's as safe. simple as DOT adjusting the timing yeah. of the signal? Yes, hopefully, you know, they've, they've taken notice of the people that have called their office to complain, but yes, if they could adjust the timing of that signal, um, I really think that that would help increase the um, traffic flow heading off and not back up 201. And I know um, a request was made by my office a while back uh, when it, it seemed to appear that traffic was backing up on Harry L. Dr- or on um, Reynolds Road due to construction issues, and, and they did adjust the time, but it seemed like they went back to the to the old timing where it's it's uh, at peak times it's causing a backup on on Reynolds Road. 
I mean, I've, unfortunately, I've seen traffic backed all the way up to the north entrance or what you would refer to as the old Sears entrance to the commons where, uh, you know, that's would normally only be seen or witnessed back in the day when we had uh, the high volume of Christmas traffic through there. So, I, I mean, we have to remember that intersection accommodated a lot of traffic 25 years ago when the mall was in its prime and, you know, Wegmans was open and all these things were going on. It wasn't a big thing. Um, so maybe we could find what our timing patterns were from 25 years ago and start working on on that to see if that solves the problem of the backup on Reynolds. In terms of that uh, general area, one thing that uh, Johnson City lost several months ago was the area's final Friendly's restaurant. Some guys came over one week and tore that thing down. And now I notice, I, I was just over there this morning, by the way, to, to see how the progress is going with the next business at that site. So far, nothing. Have you heard anything about when they're uh, going to begin building the uh, much-anticipated car wash? I know that they've gone through the planning process, and that's as far as, as I can go with that. I, I know that they did take the structure down, and as far as what their anticipated timeline is, I'm not sure. Um, I know that Tioga State Bank is, is going up right there by uh, Wegmans, and you know, they started probably getting foundation work and things done before winter hit. You know, so I don't know if it's a time thing, if it's a construction season thing, where they decide to break ground and start moving on the car wash that they propose to put in there. Have you heard any other uh, developments that are in the pipeline for the Oakdale area? I know so much of our focus has been on the Oakdale Common site, but there are also several other spots in that vicinity around Oakdale or Harryell Drive, Oakdale Road, and Reynolds Road that uh, could lend themselves to potentially new businesses. To my knowledge, no, I don't. I, and I just saw the, uh, the latest agenda for the planning board meeting, and there was there was nothing on the planning board agenda for any uh, new development for that area. Hopping back over uh, to the other side of the river, to 400 Riverside Drive, the old Davis College campus. And I know the uh, the most recent speculation from you and others is that uh, perhaps residential, some residential development is for, uh, likely to be the most um, – the, the scenario that probably will happen now that the, those uh, guys from – wherever they were downstate <laughs> never just between you and me i never thought that that having uh what like an e college or e oh, university yeah. or or whatever or AI, I, AI oh yeah. it was AI. Yeah, ai i get so confused because at one point i know when when the property was first purchased there was going to be potentially a basketball academy yeah. and an esports academy i thought well yeah. maybe but then covid intervened and then these Guys that I never got a chance to talk with were talking big about AI, and that that seemed to crash and burn. So now residential seems to be on the top of the list of most people. Do you think that's probably the best use or the future use for the old Davis College site? I think that would fit in best with the neighborhood. Is is some type of you know keep because it is a residential neighborhood, and um, you know way back. When that was an open property, it was a uh, a casino, and and before it was a, a Bible school. You know, going back to the turn of the last century. 
So at any rate, uh, I think a, a residential component would fit nice with there. I mean, it's it's the the property is really nice. It's a nice wooded property. It's got the riverbank behind it, and uh, it would fit with what's really a neighborhood. I mean, it was like the park or the 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 Bible College was put in into the neighborhood. So I think if it reverts back into to some type of residential component and it keeps that neighborhood appeal, that would be, in my opinion, um, the best use for that site. I know when we spoke last month, you were aware that uh, apparently at least a few uh, mm-hmm. potential buyers had been uh, inquiring of uh, village representatives about uh, possible housing development at the site. Uh, have there been any new people emerging, showing an interest in, in buying the site? We again, we haven't gotten, other than the same people calling back with uh, with various questions, no, there's been no new developer that's that's come and asked or inquired about, hey, this is what we're looking to do here. How do we how do we go through the process? Any sense that any one of them is getting more serious over the last few weeks from anything you've heard that they, they might be moving closer to um, getting the property under contract? To my knowledge, no, because, again, nothing has, has come through um, our planning board. So, you know, at this time, and I still see that there's um, there's a new for uh, – there's two for sale signs out in front of it now. There's exit in uh, Munchko Realty. Yeah, John Munchko. I was yeah. just I just ran into him uh, on Sunday afternoon, and he he said, "Did you see the sign? Did you see my sign?" And I said, <laughs> "No, I haven't seen your sign yet. I'll drive by." And yesterday I drove by, and sure enough, his, yeah, his sign has been added. So yeah. with with that additional firepower, I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised to hear about a, a potential potential uh buyer for the property uh in the coming weeks we'll see yeah let's stay positive we will continue our conversation with johnson city mayor martin maney on this friday morning you're listening to wnbf and wnbf.com from the galt auto studios this is wnbf news radio am 1290 also available at 92.1 fm save in a big way at galt chevrolet WNBF Live at 10.33. This is Bob Joseph. We're talking with Johnson City Mayor Martin Maney. After many, many years, the workers' arch at the Johnson City Binghamton line is going to be repaired. Give us an update on when the work could begin. Good Lord willing, and the river doesn't rise. We hope to start in April. Uh, They're going to take the stone off. Uh, get it down to the frame. Uh, they're going to match up some of the uh, granite stone. The base stones are now going to be um, granite because they'll weather a lot better. And uh, we're just excited to, to finally see the transition back to its former glory. Um, and it's just it's going to be exciting to see. It's not going to look nice when it's just the uh, the superstructure. But once the, the stones get back up and they're rehabbed, um, and the electricity is through it and the lights are on, it's going to be something special again. And uh, we're fortunate enough that we moved, and as anybody that's ever moved before, they found something that's like, huh, wow, I've been looking for this. At any rate, we found the um, the original dedication plaque that was on 
the arch when it was originally dedicated. So we found that in our move, and that's also going to be placed back on the arch, which is, is kind of exciting as well. Yeah, that's remarkable that for whatever reason, the last time the, the arch was renovated, which was a few decades ago, that the dedication plaque was never never put back where it, it had been on the arch. Right, and again, it's like, oh, we forgot to put this on. Let's get it on, and and it just sat in the basement until until we found it on the move. And it, it trust me, we will. That's going to be put back on. So, if the work starts in April, how long would it likely take to complete if there are no unexpected delays? I honestly don't know. I know we have a time frame set out in the in the contract. However, the clock stops when they have to match up the granite because when they take the granite down, they want to match it so they can get it um, for the base because the base is a granite stone. So that's that's going to take some time to, to match that up and get that in. So I guess, it, it, that's, again, it's a supply chain issue, hopefully, that we don't have to uh, worry about since, you know, a lot of our granite comes from, I would think, New Hampshire and Vermont. So it won't be an issue. So the work, I believe the village board approved a $462,000 contract for a, a company from Utica, Lupini Construction, and they'll be doing the work that people have been waiting to see. Yes, yes, and it's just, um, again, it was it was timing, and it was um, our director of public services, Josh Holland, and, and him just, you know, kind of being like a dog on a bone. He wants to see this project come to fruition in the worst way, and he just, rebidding it and getting it out there so it was something that was we could afford without um, killing the taxpayers on. And after it's done, do you think there's going to be some sort of rededication ceremony so people in Johnson City and Broome County can celebrate the, the arch being restored to its former glory? Yes, I, I definitely will have a, a ceremony because it's going to be restored to its former glory, but it's also because we'll be able to, um, you know, put the original dedication plaque on it. And I think that should be noted because, again, that was, you know, 100 years ago that the workers of Anikai Johnson um, erected those those two arches. So I think it's very important that we, we do – everybody says, you know, well, history belongs in the books, but this is such a tangible part of our history that you could walk by, you could see it, you could touch it, that we need to recognize it. Well, and realistically, as, as much as um, some people think history ought to be just relegated to to the past, and yeah, if you if you're interested in history, go to the library or look it up online. Right. But so much of the Endicott Johnson uh, infrastructure that was part of the village no longer exists. Uh, a lot of buildings were torn down. In some cases, uh, EJ buildings have been repurposed with the apartments uh, near. The, the railroad tracks, the two mm-hmm. twin buildings that Regan Development did, also the uh, Victory Lofts mm-hmm. uh, with all those apartments. Speaking of that, any any new developments with the Victory Lofts, with the, the former Victory Building that I believe has 156 apartments or the nearby building? Have you heard anything more from developer Matthew Paulus in Syracuse? Uh, to be honest with you, we haven't heard anything from, from Matthew Paulus, and I've got to call into him now because we really want to find out his intentions for 19th Avenue B and, and when he's going to move forward on that. 
Yeah, it seems uh, we we did have him on the program. Seems maybe a couple months ago, and he. He did go into a little bit of detail about 19 Avenue B. I call it the Dinosaur Building because right. uh, it was part of the public art project in Broome County. Uh, nice. I, I hadn't even paid that much attention to it until I started looking at the west side of the building. I said, oh, look at the dinosaur. Right. Well, the, the reason we want to reach out to him as well is his intentions to get the project up and running. We want to help him, you know, get the project up and running and move forward. And if he's going to delay the project a little bit, the building needs a little bit of a cleanup. There's the, uh, it's, it's, it's grown unsightly with the, the windows being broken out and some of the, uh, panels for the, uh, the dinosaur missing. So, um, yeah, it's like starting the buildings cleaned up a little bit. Right. Well, it's starting to look blighted. I mean, yeah. it's always, well, I shouldn't say always. I'll say at least for the last five years, it's looked blighted. A couple of times when I was over there taking pictures during a wind, portions were actually flecking off. If, right. if you can say that on the air, flecking off or maybe falling off the uh, the top of the building like pieces of metal and I think at one point part of a window. And I thought, I'm not an expert, but that doesn't feel safe. I haven't seen that happening lately, but you're right. It's in... It's in pretty bad shape. Yeah, it's just, it's in disrepair. So if at least if he could uh, clean it up a wee bit, that would be most appreciated. And now it's especially uh, jarring because it's just a few feet away from the Victory Loft yes. building that just opened. Correct. Right. And it's it's uh, quite a contrast. A very big contrast. In that same area of the village, there is a new business that will be opening the uh, uh i call it the plasma place they uh i guess i guess they're going to want people's blood from what i hear um at the the farmer's supermarket at uh i think it's 200 main street most recently was save a lot and there's a number of other supermarkets over the year but we understand that uh a new uh company was well, a company yeah, not so. new, a company from Texas is going to open up its plasma collection site very soon. Yes, and uh, other that's the only information that that I have as well is that it's going to be opening soon. I still see that there's um, the construction fences across the parking lot, uh, but you can see um, from the exterior that the exterior has been renovated, and uh, you know I don't know what type of interior renovations have been done or, or continuing at this time. Uh, from the exterior, it would appear that it would be opening soon. Also in the neighborhood, of course, Binghamton University's presence uh, has been expanding over the last few years. Uh, just to the south of that, Corliss Avenue, the Corliss Corridor. Uh, is Binghamton University preparing to buy any other properties along Main Street in that general area? At this time, to my knowledge, no. Um, I know that they're going to uh, start the... Uh, asbestos abatement at 18 Park or the old Oslid um, facility fairly soon here. So that, that's good that they're they're going to start moving forward with that project. As far as what they plan to do, uh, I'm not 100% sure, but I do know that they're going to start the asbestos abatement, so that tells me that they're moving forward with some type of development there. All right. And I know it sounds as though I keep asking you about the green space project, sort of uh, the park that Binghamton University has has promised and the area where lots of buildings had stood till they 
the Binghamton University Foundation bought up all those properties and then knocked them down uh, near the village's Jenison Park. What are you hearing about progress to get the, the green space going? Oddly enough, we've got a, a meeting scheduled. It's tentatively, I think, for Wednesday of next week to uh, to meet with uh, with BU's parks people or architectural or uh, not architectural landscaping engineer to to see what their vision is for that and what their timeline is. So you must be pleased. At least finally, there's some movement there because I I thought the plan was to have it done by now. Yes. Well, again, um, I'm I'm sure they would have. Love to. They probably, if they were able to obtain all the properties, they'd uh, be waiting for us to complete our our component at Jenison Park. Um, but yes, the uh, you know sometimes the the acquisition of the land holds you up, and and then again, um, getting the necessary funds to do the development probably play a key, a key role in it as well. And when is the Jenison Park project? going to be completed that that uh, the first part of the work began before uh, it got really cold how soon is uh jenison park going to be uh, wrapped up though there at the corner of corliss i think it's corliss and willow it depends on how well mother nature treats us the rest of the winter as soon as uh the construction season opens back up and if it's not too crazy wet or snowy uh when they get in there we're hoping to have it done um you know no later than june Stand 44. You're listening to News Radio WNBF. I'm Bob Joseph. We're speaking with Johnson City Mayor Martin Maney. More coming right up on this Friday morning. News Radio 1290 WNBF. 1046 WNBF Live with Bob Joseph on a Friday morning. Johnson City Mayor Martin Maney is answering a few questions today. One of the things that comes up every so often on this program and elsewhere, it's a matter of street names. And sometimes people wonder if streets, the names that uh, currently are affixed to certain streets around here, if if they're still relevant or if they no longer really apply to the current world. And so I understand the village might be reviewing some street names in the coming weeks yes we just uh at our last meeting we did a uh a public hearing and a resolution for a myriad of streets in the village that uh needed to be that were redlined at one time that don't need to be redlined anymore than some that had dead-end restrictions that don't need them anymore so we caught up and we went through a lot of that now um there's some streets that that have names that um no longer have bearing to what is there. So uh, we're, we're going to see, we're exploring the possibilities of, of renaming those streets. Um, and uh, one of those streets uh, might be um, something that you hold near and dear to your heart. And hopefully we don't uh, upset you with the renaming of, of a street over there by Walmart. But that's, uh, that's, that's one of the streets that's up for consideration. So Gannett drive potentially could have a new name at some point if if the village officials conduct a review. That is correct. Yes, and that's um, you know, it's it, it, it bears review now. Yeah. Well, it's it, it has come up before because Gannett had a newspaper plant there that uh, produced millions of of papers for twelve years, but then 
for some reason they shut it down and nearly 100 people lost their jobs. It, it mm-hmm. seems because there are a couple of other things in that area. Businesses, of course, uh, Visions, the credit union, I think their official address is Pavilion Drive. Is that correct? Yes. And then, yes. of course, there's uh, a major retail outlet further down Gannett Drive. But there are no – it's not a, a case where – Many businesses, and as far as I know, there, there are no residential properties on Gannett Drive that would be affected by renaming the street. No. no. There's what's just the, uh, you know, there's the retail establishment, and, and their address may already be um, CFJ Boulevard because there's an entrance off the CFJ Boulevard into it. Hmm, interesting. Have there been any thoughts expressed to you about what a, new name or or proposed new names for Gannett Drive that might be considered by the village? Um, not really, but seeing as how the Gannett building was a Gannett, was owned by Gannett, uh, maybe um, Binghamton University, which now owns the, the property there um, where the former printing press was, that uh, maybe something attached to Binghamton University might be in order. Do you know whether anybody has reached out to University President Harvey Stanger? Uh, I do not. No? Or any other university representatives? No. Maybe if, if Harvey's listening today, maybe I'll get a phone call. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> he's listening. He's a big fan of the station and this program. So it would, it would, he, he might be on the line at 11 o'clock right after we wrap up. It would be interesting. Who knows? Yes, it would be, yes. Yeah. Any other uh, streets that you are uh, able to uh, talk about? At this point, that, that conceivably would be uh, reviewed for uh, a, a possible new name. Um, Helen Drive is where the Victory Factory now is, and and that's again that's that's another potential street um, for for renaming. Uh, we have a Helen Street in the village and a Helen Drive, so that would take some ambiguity out of you know for first responders, for police and fire. Um, or did they say Helen Drive or, or Helen Street? You know, so that that would help um, with response. And uh, again, also that is um, a private street that um, is eventually going to be um, deeded over to the village um, from from Matthew Paulus in the future. So um, again, with that, if he's deeding it to the to the village, we again we will extend to him um, the opportunity, you know, to, to name the street. Has anybody talked with Paulus about this yet, to your knowledge? Yes, we, yes, uh, we have. The village has. Yeah. What's he think? Um, I think it's a back burner item for him. I, I imagine make, of all the things, it's, not, it's more pressing, yeah. not necessarily in his top 40 things yeah, to mean, do today. We, we approached that with him back before anybody moved in just to help, you know, so people don't have to do an address change or anything like that. And, uh, you know, he just, um, again, whether it slipped his mind or, or he's content with Helen, I honestly don't know. Call it Victory Drive. Right. Yeah. Good work. Sten 52, we're talking with Johnson City Mayor Martin Maney. Any other names that uh, also are, are sort of uh, bubbling up as, as under re- review? No, not, not at this time. I know that there's some streets up on the north side that are... Uh, the um, Gray Bark Lane, they just kind of formed in and made it Pinewood. Uh, you could see that going up Reynolds Road. So there's been some that have been incorporated in the name change. But uh, again, 
nothing other than the, the couple around here where all the development's going on that's coming to mind. And you could even see that short street off uh, Main Street, Oslid, since Oslid right. hasn't been around for decades, that uh, conceivably could could be considered for uh, a new name if any right. if anybody had uh, had a mind to do that. Uh, it's ten fifty three at WNBF. One of the things that uh, can be an annoyance for um, for residents, whether it's Johnson City or elsewhere, is uh, things that happen. On, on neighboring properties, and sometimes it's just clutter in in properties, or sometimes it's stuff that people keep on their front porches for for some reason. But one of the big things that also can bother people is uh, vehicles that are parked in front yards. And I understand that the village is uh, starting to crack down on on this situation in some parts of Johnson City. You are correct. It's uh. It seems to be growing where people are parking in their front yards, and it's against our code, um, and, and it might even be in violation of state law. I'm not 100% sure on that, but it just may be. But I know it's against village code, and our code enforcement department has been uh, actively um, citing these uh, residences that uh, are parking in their front yards. And we just um, we can see that as, as a bit of a decay to a neighborhood. The front yard is not meant to... To be a parking lot is not to be meant to be a parking space. Uh, that's why we have driveways and off street and on street parking. So if if anybody is listening to the to this uh, right now, if you are using your front yard for parking, please refrain because at some point um, you will receive a summons from code. It's just it's against our code, and um, we're we're starting to take a real active role in dissuading people from parking in their yards. How's parking in general, parking enforcement going in the village? Uh, it's been a little while since the village removed parking meters in most areas and went over to the kiosks. How is that working? It seems like we're getting through our growing pains. I mean, there's still the occasional hiccup. Um, with one of the recent snowstorms, there was uh, a woman who couldn't get to the kiosk because of the ice in the snow, and we completely understand that. Um, she was... Um, inadvertently issued a ticket and, and it was it was rectified so yeah uh other than those minor hiccups i think everybody's uh, grown accustomed to um using either the the Floatbird app on their phone or going to the kiosk and and using their card or depositing uh funds in for the meter or for what used to be the meter for the parking space uh we've seen uh uh i think a little bit of uh increase or growth in in the revenues that we're receiving off of parking as well Will Not a lot, will, but just a wee bit. Will more streets be designated for paid parking in the future? Again, that's something that we'll review. We actually are going through a uh, uh, independent parking study now. We received grant money to do a, a parking study for our um, downtown area, and uh, they just started preliminary meetings. So uh, we're going to take their suggestions to heart as best we can and hopefully a parking structure is not not one of the recommendations just because <laughs> they're so cost prohibitive yeah yeah and it um, takes time hey we're out of time speaking of that uh, johnson city mayor martin maney thank you so much bob again uh, thanks for having me on the show you have a great day and a great weekend thank you stand 56 wnbf live where news breaks first News Radio 1290 WNBF.
This is News Radio 1290 WNBF News. Mostly sunny today, high near 56. Tonight, mostly cloudy, low around 42. Mostly cloudy Saturday, chance of afternoon showers with a high near 56. Sunday, mostly cloudy, high near 42. Office space in a prominent downtown Binghamton structure may soon be converted into apartments. The four-story Perry Building at 89 Court Street will be turned into primarily a residential complex under a plan put forward by a prospective owner. The property, which is under contract, had been listed for sale for about $1.5 million. The City Planning Commission is reviewing a proposal to convert the top three floors of the building into nine apartments with a total of 18 bedrooms. Jeffrey Smith and Anderson Architects said much of the existing building would be reused under the conversion plan. He said while the first floor now is occupied, the remainder of the building is vacant. Smith said three two-bedroom apartments are planned for each of the top floors. He said some exterior work would be done as part of the project. Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro is taking the first step in a years-long process to respond to a court decision that found that Pennsylvania's system of public school funding violates the constitutional rights of students in the poorest districts. His proposal on Tuesday for a $1.1 billion boost for public school operations and instruction is part of a seven-year process of ramping up funding. But Republican lawmakers have signaled that they are unwilling to significantly spend down the state's considerable reserves or raise taxes to fulfill the long-term funding schedule. Meanwhile, neither Shapiro or Democrats have produced a plan to show how Pennsylvania will find billions more for schools. Broome County District Attorney announced on Thursday a county-wide diversion program for those suffering from substance abuse disorders in partnership with the Broome County Sheriff's Office and Helio Health. Starting February 19th, qualifying accused individuals being arraigned at the centralized arraignment part of the Broome County Court System will have the opportunity to be part of the new diversion program, Motivation to Change. Upon acceptance into the program, the individual will be directly transported to Helio Health for immediate placement into detox or inpatient residential treatment. The Broome County Sheriff's Department has agreed to transport program participants directly to Helio Health. The plan will then assess the individual and recommend the appropriate treatment plan. This program is geared toward nonviolent offenders suffering from substance use disorder. Authorities say 10 cars of a cargo train carrying plastic pellets and cooking oil derailed in upstate New York with two ending up in a river. Authorities say the cars were part of a 94-car train that derailed Wednesday night in Rensselaer County Village of Valley Falls. A spokesperson for Berkshire and Eastern Railroad says no injuries were reported and no hazardous materials were involved. He says the two cars that fell into the river were leaking a small amount of cooking oil and resin. He says contractors are on site and the cars should be back on the rails soon. An investigation is underway. A Port Crane man is facing multiple charges, including driving while intoxicated and resisting arrest following a domestic incident in the town of Colesville. 
On February 8th, Broome County Sheriff's deputies responded to a report of a domestic incident at a residence at 90 Circle Drive in the town of Colesville. Upon arrival, Robert Bergman of Port Crane pulled into the driveway behind the patrol car, exited his vehicle, and began yelling at other residents at the scene. Witnesses reported that Bertram had consumed a large amount of alcohol during the course of the evening, became angry, and proceeded to leave and return to the residence multiple times throughout the night, each time causing disturbances, throwing objects, and repeatedly harassing the residents. He was arrested and charged with driving while intoxicated, a misdemeanor, obstructing gov- uh, governmental administration in the second degree, resisting arrest, harassment in the second degree, moving from a lane unsafely, unsafe starting, and refusing to take a breath test. A small plane, a small pilot, a plane pilot accused of stalking a New York woman from the air has been arrested for a fifth time. The Saratoga County Sheriff's Office says Michael Arnold of Schuylerville was ordered held without bail following his February 1st arrest on misdemeanor counts of stalking and criminal contempt. He's accused of waiting for and following the victim on January 12th in violation of an order of protection. Arnold's attorney did not immediately respond to an email request for comment Thursday. Arnold is accused of harassing a cafe owner in the village of Scholarville for more than four years, flying low and sometimes throwing tomatoes. That's a look at news. For updates on local news, weather, sports, and features, open up the WNBF app and online at WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF. I'm Bob Joseph. This is the Friday edition of Binghamton Now on News Radio WNBF. Six zero seven 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 two twelve ninety. Go ahead, call. You know you want to. Welcome to the final 50 minutes of America's most wonderful talk radio program. In my humble opinion. (laughs) Hey, you don't have to agree. All you have to do is call if you want to participate. Uh, what was the story there? Let me, I heard, I, I half listened. I, I half listened to the, the thing. I think the final story, let me just see if I can punch this up. Oh, here it is. <laughs> A guy was accused of stalking. A woman flying over her home and throwing tomatoes from the air. That's, that's what it, okay, that's what it was. I just wanted to, I had to look that up. Flying low in a small plane over a woman's home and then throwing tomatoes from the air. I'm telling you, it's totally out of control. Why don't they outlaw tomatoes? Hi, WNBF, good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? 
Hey, Bob. Robin Fort Crane. Hey, welcome back to the show. Thanks. I want to talk about Joe Biden's embarrassing uh, situation speech last night. Oh, my God. That man's totally unhinged. He blamed his staff, which, you know, that, that, that's weasel behavior. He blamed his staff for him having all these classified documents. And that document did say that they're not going to prosecute him because he's too old and feeble and has no memory, Bob. He's really a basket case. So uh, how can anybody defend him? I just don't understand it. You know, well, what about Dr. Jill Biden? She's the one, She, of all people, should know better. She's the one who let him go out there last night for the prime right. for the primetime news conference. If she's a doctor, why didn't she just say, Joe? She's not a doctor. She uh, is Dr. Jill she's, Biden. She's got a PhD in education. Right, Dr. Jill Biden. If you had a PhD doctor. in education, I'd call you Dr. Rob. Well, I, just like that kid on uh, TV who's no longer on anymore, Dr. Phil. It's a title. It do, doesn't doesn't mean that they're somehow better or different than you or I. It's just that they've... Uh, they spent much more time in school than they really should have. Well, I don't know if it's more, <laughs> more time than they really should have. Let's put it this way. A lot more time than I did. So if if they earned it, even if they're not a medical doctor, I'll still... In not all cases and not all the time. I mean, sometimes I'll just call her Jill. But sometimes I'll call her Dr. Jill Biden. Same with Dr. Phil. Most of the time when I watched his program, I just called him Phil. But you know what I'm saying. So I, I, know, I know some people try to really point, the, point out that distinction, but we all know. So anyway, bottom line is, let you tell me what the heck was going on there. Because I'm sitting there first... I rarely, I rarely turn my TV on after 6.59 p.m. Usually after the 6.30 news is over, I'm saying that's about all the TV I can stand for today. But then I, <laughs> I was on Twitter last night at about 7.50, and some minion in the White House communications office put on Twitter, hey, we're going to have a big uh, hullabaloo or a, a big message to the nation. And I thought, oh, well, I could watch it, the streaming from the White House feed, but I wanted to hear with our bad friends, with those liberals over at CNN News had to say. So I fired up the TV at 7.59, and the dogs are looking like me, like, what is going on? Don't watch TV at 6.59 p.m. And I had to explain to them, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. <laughs> I was not disappointed. It, it, actually, it actually went pretty much exactly as I expected. Yeah, he totally melted down, man. It's just unbelievable. Well, I was, you know, yeah, I, it was difficult to watch. I mean, I it, worked in a nursing home Bob, for for years when I was younger, and I'll tell you, he was he he's got that same behavior. He snapped, you know. He's not he's not right in the head. You know what it reminded me of is that that caricature that we have. You know, an angry angry man yelling at kids, "Get off my lawn!" <laughs> and it's like, except the the angry man telling kids to get off his lawn doesn't use the those words. I mean, some of those words. I I thought, and just between you and me, I wouldn't I wouldn't tell a whole lot of people except you and the uh, people listening in on the program today online at wnbf dot com or using the wnbf app. But just between us, I I was afraid he was al al almost ready to drop the f bomb. And, and oh, almost say, you know, that this is a, 
<clears throat> deal, a big <clears throat> deal. And I thought, well, what are broadcasters supposed to do? Because not every broadcaster has somebody sitting there with their finger on the button in case the president drops the bomb on live TV. Fortunately, he didn't stoop that low. But, you know, if that had gone on another two or three minutes, I bet he would. This man's got the nuclear code. That's what's That's scary. What's scary. That's the, the other, thing. Look at the other big story, though. Tucker Carlson's interview with Putin. Yes. And, 430. You know, See, I got up at four thirty. I watched the entire thing. Yeah, I haven't. My wife got up later. I, I listened to it again. Yeah, I've only seen a couple of clips. I, I'll have to watch it this weekend because, you know, say what you will about Tucker Carlson, he I like went. Him. Well, I like him too. You know that. I um, I'm, I didn't I'm, used to. Hmm. I didn't used to when he was on Fox. I didn't watch. Well, him. I didn't like him on Fox either because he was being given orders by. Rupert Murdoch and years before by Roger Ailes, and we miss him, by the way. I miss Roger Ailes. But um, now that Tucker Carlson has been freed from the uh, the corporate hierarchy of Fox, you know, ordering him around and telling him not to wear bow ties anymore, now that he's basically um, an independent operator, he's he's free to go to get the biggest and best interviews. And i got to give the guy a lot of credit. Nobody else on the planet had managed to arrange for an interview with uh, Vladimir Putin. So that's that's remarkable. Well, I was really glad to, glad to see it because, you know, at least somebody somebody has a president that can hold a conversation, you know. And, and I mean, he, he was... He seemed lucid. I, I, like I said, I didn't see the whole interview. I saw just two clips. But the clips I saw, President Putin seemed very lucid. Uh, if I didn't know about some of the things he's done over the last couple of years, he almost came across at times as imminently likable. Well, I like the way Tucker interviewed him, too, because he asked he asked a question, he asked it directly, and he listened to the answer. You know, that that's that's something a lot of media doesn't do. They, they got to get their their own little spin in there just to twist it their way. And then when, you know how it works, and then when they say something they don't agree with, they turn around and change the subject. You know, and Tucker doesn't do that. It was... You know, it, yeah, Tucker, I'll, I'll just say Tucker is different from the rest. Thank God. You know? yeah, he's a breath of fresh air in an otherwise depressing world media landscape. I appreciate your call. I hope you have a good weekend. I'm going to go golfing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy. Take care. Bye. It's 1118 WNBF Live. Hi, you're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? My name is You Cannot Be Serious. I am serious, and stop calling me Shirley. So, <laughs> Matt from Binghamton, I, I what what say you? That you're buying in. First of all, the guy, the her guy uh, from the State Department, he had no business. It was totally out of line what he put in the report about Joe Biden being an old guy, and that's why that happened last night. And that's why every did you hear those reporters how disrespectful and how they were shouting at the president, all the same question about, are you too old? Are you listening? I would be pissed off. I probably would have used the F word. These guys, this was a report that was supposed to say whether or not he was um, uh, responsible or they thought that he was, you know, uh, did anything wrong that would warrant prosecution for having the materials that he had. They drew the contrast, if you read the whole report, they drew the contrast between what Biden did, which was be total co- totally cooperative. And we all know that Donald Trump has been indicted for what he did because he was so outrageous in how he 
tried to avoid working with um, the archives people to get the stuff back to them, that he was showing that it's been proven that he's flashing these things around to impress people, letting people read classified documents. Joe Biden never did any of that. Joe Biden knows what he's doing as president. Joe Biden has gotten the whole respect of the whole world now back on the U.S. side. Joe Biden wants to help. Uh, and, and you're praising Tucker Carlson for the bullshit he's doing. And oh, sorry, the, the bull, you know, the bull crap he's doing in, in Russia uh, with and giving a, an absolute tyrant who stole 19,000 kids. 19,000 people, kids have been stolen from Ukraine and repatriated into the uh, Russian. And, and, and you're saying, oh, he sounds nice. It's not how you sound. It's what you talk about. It's what you're. I know that. I'm just saying he, he sounded at, at points during the clips I heard like somebody, somebody who actually uh, had a clue and, and could be a nice guy. I, I, but I preface that by saying if you didn't know what he's done in recent years. So just because he came across polished and personable doesn't negate the the true harm that president putin has has done not only for his own people but for so many other people in ukraine and elsewhere so i'm not you'll never hear me defending vladimir putin on his horrible horrible record regarding his own people and with respect to ukraine and so many others his his record speaks for itself i was talking about the way he presented himself during the interview so what I, yeah, so what? So at least I told you the way he presented himself. So he, he seemed articulate. He seemed lucid. He didn't seem to be confused. He didn't mention anything about Mexico. So there. Okay. So, that, you know, I don't like to play whataboutism, but uh, if, you, if you're trying to compare, we have, if we're going to have a campaign between uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden, I can show you 100 clips where Donald Trump is bumbling, talking about stuff that doesn't make any sense. Uh, I'll get them for you, and I will put a little loop together of all the stupid stuff he says. Joe Biden was, um, I think, very angry last night because of this report that this guy wrote, which was most people are saying that have anything to do with knowing what is what a um, you know attorney general's report should say, a special prosecutors. Purposely, he's a, a Trump-appointed uh, leftover, and he went out of his way to make Joe say Joe Biden doesn't know it. You talk to world leaders. You talk to people right after the Mideast, uh, October 7th, honey, and people he was giving, talking to about that, the briefings he was having. He knows everything that's going on. He's the one that has guided us through very difficult times. And the chaos that Donald Trump brings to this country, the chaos he brings to everything, and he, he's just, that's what we should be talking about. Not the fact that, do you remember Ronald Reagan and the gaffes he used to make and how Reagan had to pull him off the stage a couple times? Nobody talks about that. This is a guy who, yes, he's a little older. He has a stutter. And when he, you know, I think he was, when, if you listen carefully to how the reporters were screaming at him, Instead of having like, okay, you know, ask a question. I mean, up against that, anybody would be angry that how disrespectful they were being to him about 
a topic that should not have even, even been in the report. And they were focusing not on the fact that he had been vindicated, but the fact that somebody said he was old. You know, that's bullshit. I'm sorry, again, I can't say. It. But this, the way they... Well, here, here's Biden, the thing. I mean, the in su- in, no, in Joe summing Biden. up, in summing up, we have one candidate who I think is 77, and we have one candidate who's 81. I think the age issue... Cancel is canceled out. It's not. It can't be much of an issue because, as you pointed out, the people who support Joe Biden can find as many clips as they want to show Donald Trump in, uh, shall we say, less than stellar and less than lucid manner. So, the age issue is, is sort of neutralized because, in terms of ability. To actually speak complete sentences and make sense all the time. Hey, I've seen, I've seen both of them and I'm not happy. I'm not happy with what I see. I don't like the, the way Donald Trump seems to get dazed and confused and thinks that Nikki Haley had something to do with January 6th, but I don't like what I saw last night on live TV with Joe Biden. That didn't, if that was supposed to give us confidence for joe biden for a, a second term it didn't work well my come on just be honest with me matthew did you see the whole thing look it, it was, did you did you see the whole thing last night i don't know how long it ran seven minutes or whatever did you see the whole thing yes i saw the whole thing but my point is it doesn't even concern me like it does look we supposedly have a uh you know, one one side of the mouth, people say, oh, we have a media you can't trust. But they, if you look at what the media, how they have a pay to how they give the, give Donald Trump a free pass on so many things. They just, you know, they don't they don't are, they don't talk about all the gas he makes the way they uh, those reporters did the other night. And I think they think they have to overcompensate because people are always bashing the mainstream media. Well, the mainstream media were an ass last night. They, the way they treated a sitting president about it, something that should have never been in a report and telling him that he's and, and, and then it came out that he was it was that five hour interview he did was with um, was right during and right after Israel had been attacked. That's when it was. He had a few other things on his mind and he and then he had the nerve to say that he doesn't. He explained why he might have given a, an answer to the to the guy doing the interview about his son's death. These are all things that are so off base that uh, the way they're treating Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump can say the most vile things about everybody and anybody, and nobody even talks about it. The press doesn't even talk about it because we've gotten so used to it that we just let it go. Well, and that's that's part of Trump's charm. We've gotten used to it. So, again, he he basically set the bar for himself so low with the Billy Bush tape, with uh, announcing, and I'll have to paraphrase, that he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and his supporters would love it. Again, that's paraphrasing. So the bar for Trump has been set so low, whereas the bar for Biden has been set so high. And so when you see what happened last night, it's heartbreaking. It truly is heartbreaking. Well, well, so he made one. He had to 
he had one one gap about that wasn't the only thing it was in it in the totality i could ignore the the confusion about mexico you listen to this program enough to know that i can make uh, verbal gas once or twice per show i'm sure i do but trust me trust me it was the totality it wasn't just one gaffe. It was the whole presentation. It didn't look good. Well, he, I, I don't see what besides that one gaffe. Okay. I respect your opinion. I disagree, but I respect your opinion. Okay, but you've been, you have been pushing the narrative that he's too old to be president for a long time. And well, no, I've been pushing a narrative. I want to see somebody who... Who gives me confidence? I'll tell you who we need. We need uh, Gavin Newsom and uh, uh, Usta, the governor. I, I looked it up last night. Now, see, I'm forgetting because I'm getting forgetful. So you get you get uh, a couple of of people in their fifties who who have a clue. Yeah, Gretchen Whitmer. I'm sorry, I, I momentarily forgot her name. So you get. On the ticket, I don't care what they have to do. What they need to do is get Gavin Newsom, who's 56, and Gretchen Whitmer, who's 52, get them on, get both of them on the ticket, and it doesn't make any difference who the Republicans run. The Democrats are going to win by at least one vote. Okay, and then and then we have people who are. Joe Biden has more institutional knowledge and more connection to what's going on in the in the world. I know he does. I'm not criticizing him. Yes, he's brilliant, but it's not working very well. How do you, Matt? And I'm I'm being very serious. What do you think three debates between Joe Biden and Donald Trump are going to look like later this year? Last time, you know, remember what Joe Biden did. Don't worry about that. We'll see. Joe Biden. Okay. Remember what Joe Biden did uh, in the in the State of the uh, Union when he totally turned it around with Marjorie Taylor Greene and had the whole House cheering on the feet, even the Republicans. He pulled that off. He's very uh, look. I would. I you heard me say it. We need one because of the times we live in. We need one more geriatric president, then we can go to back to hopefully some. But right now the choice is going to be. Donald Trump or Joe Biden, and if and if you you know for for the purposes of your talk show you can keep the debate going, but Joe Donald Trump is a danger to our democracy. You know it, and I know it. He's talked about. Well, and that's why if if that's important to Democrats and they want to defeat Trump in November, they'd better get somebody who's going to be able to speak two sentences in a row without coming across as being dazed and confused. All people have to do is play back the tape from last night. That was a damning tape, and the problem is going to be, in my opinion, is that Republican operatives, not Trump's campaign, because they, they'll they try to stay above the fray by not paying for uh, mean and nasty spots. They'll leave that to the PACs to do the mean and la nasty spots, whereas... Uh, you know, you could just imagine, you could just imagine Trump's campaign commercials sponsored by his campaign. It's morning again in America. And America is looking forward to $2 a gallon gas. And it can happen again if you make the right choice.
in November. <laughs> I'm say I'm not saying it's right. Matt Ryan, I am not saying it's right. I'm saying that's politics, and it's nasty business. It's dirty business. You, of all people, know. You've been on the receiving end. You know how nasty politics can even be in Binghamton. So you, it's going to be the dirtiest campaign in the history of campaigns. Well, and I think it's going to backfire on Donald Trump, and we will have Joe Biden as president again, and he will continue to do look let's really you know if the american people really face it we have the best economy in the world right now everybody thought we were going into a recession and that's not all joe biden uh you know the head of the fed and all those people did a, are doing an amazing job in making sure that we didn't get swallowed by inflation like every other country in the world some people have does high double digits 45 percent inflation it's insane what's going on in other parts of the world we don't have that. We have a million more manufacturing jobs than we did under Donald Trump. He's delivered on a, finally an infrastructure bill that's rebuilding our country. He's, and he's done this with all the narrowest of margins by bipartisan things. That's what our government's supposed to be about. And the fact that he accomplished it with, with the MAGA people constantly, and I would be mad too. And last night, like I said, I would have been furious. I would have said, hey, look, you know. Well, I didn't say he shouldn't be mad. Yeah, I'd be mad too. But I would hope my advisors would say, Bob, you're too angry to go on TV right now. Or at a minimum, at a minimum, his communications people should have said, if you want to respond to the report that contains stuff you didn't think was appropriate, you do it. In the Oval Office, or you do it at least by yourself somewhere in the White House, and don't open it up to the media. That was a terrible, terrible mistake. Whoever said, whether it was the president who said, oh, yeah, I'll be glad to take some questions, let them in. They, they gave the, the reporters, the White House reporters, 20 minutes notice before it started. So, of course, they were salivating. But it shouldn't have been allowed to happen. If he needed to talk to the American people last night in prime time, his communications people or Dr. Jill Biden should have said, OK, you say what you want and make sure you stick to the prepared script and you look into the camera and you can you can be angry and you can express righteous indignation. But don't let the reporters in. It's going to be a disaster. It was. I didn't do it. I watched it. As soon as I saw there were reporters in the room, I said, it ain't going to end well. From the Galt Auto Studios, this is WNBF News Radio AM 1290. Also available at 92.1 FM. Shop Toyota, Chevy, BMW, and pre owned at GaltAuto.com. Yeah, I was out of 
WNBF. Bob from Vestal, good morning. I'm in shock. Why? What happened? Did I just hear Matt Ryan say that the press treats Joe Biden bad and Donald Trump good? Did you hear him say that? Yeah, I'm listening to the same program. Oh, my God. Is he kidding? Read the papers. Look at those channels. Donald Trump is the devil. He's the Nazi. Where does he get that they treat Joe Biden worse than him? Did you see last night? The media, and I'm sorry, I'm part of the media, but the media mob was totally out of control. No, they weren't. They were asking questions, what they're supposed to do. It was like they were a bunch of rabid dogs. Oh, come on. Don't start this. Yes, everybody saw... And, and nobody could get a word in edgewise. He's trying to answer questions thoroughly. And people, there had to have been dozens, dozens of yelling, screaming, carrying on. I've never seen anything like that. Now, listen to me, Bob. You just told him that uh, you saw a mess there, more or less, right? It was a mess. It was a mess on both sides of the podium. On his side, it was a mess. And it was a mess on the media side. Nobody, nobody, in my humble opinion, comported themselves very well last night. Listen to me. Your opinion is way too much. The people, that's who's supposed to. Matt Ryan, you let him go on almost. Un- you challenge him a little bit, and you could see he wanted to go. He wanted to scream like hey. No, he didn't. He understood the point I was making, and of course he's going to respond. He's a very, very ardent supporter of Joe Biden. That's what you would expect. He appreciates everything Mr. Biden has done during the decades he has served America with pride. I heard John Kennedy talking to somebody today. Beef is up 28%. Beef, 28%, has nothing to do with Joe Biden. Don't start that corporate greed bull. It has everything to do with corporate greed. Those big companies in charge of big meats. You know, I'm old enough to remember when we didn't have most of America's meat supply consolidated into the hands of three or four big boys. We had small family farms and people could get the meat that they needed easily and affordably from people probably within a 25 or 30 mile radius well that doesn't exist anymore and that's the price we're paying higher and higher prices for the beef we love you're talking over me again all right have a good weekend dave and vestal good morning yeah good morning there bob hey hey hey, i heard you uh mention uh, gretchen whitmer Uh, did you realize that when Biden was running in 2020, um, that he really wanted Gretchen Whitmer as the VP. It was Obama that stuck his nose in and insisted on good old Kamala. Joe really wanted Gretchen bad. And it ended up creating hard feelings between Jill Biden and Kamala Harris. They were, well, then he still has time to rectify his mistake. Get Gretchen Whitmer on the line and tell her, be ready to start campaigning March 1st. And over the next three weeks, explain to Kamala Harris what her new role will be in the federal government. 
Bob, before I go real quick, before um, the only way the Republicans can ensure a free and fair election is they have to lie and cheat, too. All right. Thank you. I disagree, but thank you for the suggestion. I'm sure I'm sure the Republicans had never considered that. Jesse from Owego, you're on. Bob, big guns, Bob. I'm trying to figure out. What the heck happened to Freaky Fun Friday? All of a sudden, someone had a call in, I won't name names, and he totally ruined it. I'm like, come on. This is unbelievable. This is one of the best days that we have, and it's very well cherished, and I love it. There's nothing better. But, man, it just ticks me off when someone has to call in, and then a few more follow up and just ruin it. I'm like, what's the matter with you people? Come on. We live a short ride in our life. Let's enjoy it while we can. Please. All right. Thanks for checking in. 1142, the most calls in America. Hi, you're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Ann, I have a Lincoln. Hi, Ann. What's up? I agree totally with Matt um, about what happened last night. Those reporters were terrible. And as far as the one that issued that report, he was way off. His purpose was to make sure this played on Don Bangino and Fox and everything else. This, like as if he knows what's, you know, wrong mentally with Biden. Biden, when um, McCarthy, they had the discussion about the ceiling, the raising of the ceiling. Well, I happen to think the uh, the guy who wrote the report, I think he did Joe Biden a favor. And I think Joe Biden had a, a great opportunity last night to announce that he would resign effective at noon on Valentine's Day. I mean, he still can announce it. He's not locked in. There's, n- there's no law that says he has to serve out his full four-year term. But he could say, uh, I don't know, go on 60. 60- no, the halftime show. On Sunday, he could show up and uh, be interviewed by Nora O'Donnell and say, Nora, I know you had lots of questions planned for me, and I'm going to respectfully ask that you not pose those questions to me because I have a very important announcement to make. And just look the American people in the eye and say, after... Thinking about what's gone on in recent days and over the last several weeks, I've decided to resign the presidency of the United States effective at noon on February 14th. And at that time, Kamala Harris will be sworn in as president of the United States. And he could say, I consulted with my advisors. I consulted with my wife, Dr. Jill Biden. And we all agree it's not only the best thing for me, but it's the best thing for the country I love. I disagree with you 100%. I think he's the best thing that happened after Donald Trump. He's got that man on his back from the time he would not surrender, and he still is a criminal in any way, shape, and manner. Kevin McCarthy said when they had that discussion about this death ceiling that um, that, um, Biden was sharp. He mentioned the word sharp. The reason is they have on... Another program, a man who did the Mueller report, and he said that was totally uncalled for. That her, we put out 
uh, stuff, the, the adjectives and adverbs that he did not need to. And I'm sure that the reason is because he's a Trump supporter and he is making sure that Dan Bongino and, and Fox News and Fox Network, not news, um, have that to use as fodder. CNN, everybody noticed, oh, look, look what he said about um, Biden's memory. He, well, what do you expect? He's a Republican. That's to be expected. Well, you, you, I, I agree. I didn't say it was good. It's a Republican who prepared the report. Of course, a Republican is going to put that in the report. That's what Republicans would do. I mean, if it was a Democrat who did the report, that would not have appeared. They, that man, that, that report achieved exactly what it was. Because the man called you up and said, oh, his brain, he's not, you know, oh, you know, he, he's just out of it and everything. And, and, and instead of contradicting him... I didn't find Biden to be so terrible last night. I found those reporters to be insufferable. Well, I, I agree. I'm not. De- Thank you for your call, Anne. I'm not defending the behavior of the reporters. I thought the behavior of the journalists last night on live TV, I thought it was deplorable. And they showed exactly zero respect, both for Joe Biden as a person and also for the office of the presidency. And they... They should think long and hard about what they did last night and also how it looked to the American people and to the world. It was embarrassing. I agree. But on the other side of the podium, that was embarrassing too. Hey, I saw it. I watched it. I didn't like what I saw any aspect of the whole thing last night. I didn't like what I saw. I didn't like the way the President of the United States came across on live TV. By the way, that was visible to people outside the United States. And I didn't like the way the reporters were coming across. It's a pack of animals waiting desperately to pounce on a great man, the President of the United States. He didn't deserve that type of question. I agree. On the other hand, he's the most powerful person on the planet. Whether he deserved it or not, he should have been prepared for it. Dr. Jill Biden and his communications team should have told him, get ready, man. This is going to be the most pressure you've ever experienced on live TV. Brace yourself. It's not going to be pretty. And it wasn't. My opinion. Just my opinion. You don't have to agree. I'm Bob Joseph. You're listening to WNBF. WNBF Live at 11.50. I'm Bob Joseph. Martin in Binghamton. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Uh, I gotta make this kind of quick because I want to get in. I'm in the Belmar parking lot. I want to get a Coupefe burger for lunch. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. Oh, I do. <laughs> I, I, I love that. That's a, uh, thank you. That, that, that was one of my favorite special burgers that they ever had on the, the menu at Belmar. Yeah. Um, uh, I really want to, uh, 
call about what Bob said about me the other day that I said um, that after what happened to me about what happened, you know, losing my, my jacket and everything else like that, that I was going to be nice and everything else like that. But all I said was, I just, you know, just the facts. I just commented on what Trump said about, you know, tariffs and for China, 60%. That's relevant. And then when you make something, you're going to elaborate on it a little bit, but I wasn't crass or, or mean or anything like that. And, and the, the guy that got me the jacket, Giovanni, told me that, you know, he um, he had his jacket stolen at Carousel Mall. Boom. I mean, he's like, just within minutes, said he couldn't believe it, you know. But um, anyway, and, and about having empathy, not having empathy, and, and my heart goes out to Bob and taking care of his uh, ex there with the MS in the wheelchair. I, I mean, that, that was very uh, kind of him. But I certainly have empathy. I've been going to the wound care center for 29 years, and I've seen people younger than myself that lose limbs, that lose legs, lose limbs and stuff, and it's, it's horrible, you know. And um, But um, about I never seen, I didn't see what happened last night, but uh, I have a family member that's going through Alzheimer's right now, and there's a, a great mu- movie on um, HBO now um, uh, with Nick Nolte, and it's, it's called Head Full of Honey. And it's a perfect metaphor. It's like for Alzheimer's. And it's like, you know, your head is just, your, your brain is clogged. Yeah, we'll have to check it out. Hey, we're running short on time. Okay. I hope you have okay. a great weekend. Be well. Yes. Bye. Thanks, Martin. It's 11.52. You're listening to WNBF. WNBF. 11.55, WNBF Live, DJ in Binghamton. Good morning. Yes, it's Two Cent D-Day, and that's not a very good song. But anyway... Hey, I thought we were going to keep it positive, guys. You know what? Come on, man. We already know that Joe Biden is so old, he has Moses' pager number. We should be talking about the positive things. Oh, here's some positive things. They canceled our winter festival park, Bobby. So I was going to take my snowboard, and I was going to jump over uh, Broome County Executive Jason Darnar's SUV. Well, maybe that's why. Maybe that's why they canceled it. They they knew what you were going to do, and they canceled it for your own safety. Well, maybe, but you know, fifty degrees is not too warm. You can do other things than skate on the ice. You can still have a good winter fest. I think that. Yeah. Well, maybe they'll is. maybe they'll do it in June. Appreciate your call. Hope you have a great weekend, DJ, and hope everybody has just a great weekend. I'm Bob Joseph. I'll be back Monday morning right here on WNBF. This is News Radio 1290 AM, WNBF Binghamton. Now on 92.1 FM, W221 EJ Binghamton, a town